give me time to to develop it and implement it in my classroom and then follow up with me and kind of hold me accountable of like hey we we taught you this thing did it work and i think that that's kind of the same thing with both adults and students whenever you're you're looking at something i mean ultimately the deciding factor is did it work podcast. I'm Kira Bettis, your host, and I am so excited for the guests for our conversation today. Today, we're talking about learning design and being really targeted with the theories, research, and models of human learning that goes into designing great learning experiences for our students and for our fellow teachers. And our guest is my friend, Scott Judy. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is, this is going to be fun, right? Talking about how we, how we teach, you know, and like what it looks like as far as professional learning, because I think that there's a lot of ways you could look at this, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I have different experiences, but I'm really interested and like excited to share some of the things I learned as a coach and how those things have implemented, I've implemented those things you know, with professional learning, with my students and whatnot, and try and kind of blend those two areas. I love that. Okay, so that's actually a great segue. Scott, do you want to give us a quick 30-second elevator pitch about your background and bio so we can give a little insight into who you are as a person? Sure. I currently teach at Beaumont High School in Davis School District in Bountiful. I've been here since 2006, and I actually student taught here and then got lucky enough to have an opening that I was more than willing to fulfill. And in 2011, I started a master's degree program and finished that in two years. And since 2013, I have been teaching concurrent enrollment history and then also concurrent enrollment government. As my time here, I've served as a coach and as advisor in numerous programs and Currently, also have the opportunity to teach some adjunct classes up at Weber State. Very cool. And so diving into our icebreaker for today, because we're talking about learning design and professional development, as well as like designing learning for anybody, really. In a dream world, what do you think is a perfect PD? For the teacher, as well as like the students or who's like participating in the PD. What in your dream world, what would that look like? What would that feel like? Describe it for us. Well, I know that this sounds kind of corny, but already getting off like perfect role of PDs probably got to start with food, you know, in some ways <laughs> yeah. or I kind of get, get people in because I do think that there is something kind of magical that happens once you sit down and and you're eating together i don't know why but like i always know that anytime i walk into a pd session and there's like a lack of food it just automatically lowers my my attitude about it so i think if i had to start off it would include food in some way but i mean on like a little bit you know kind of more serious though like thinking about my back 
background as a coach in different sports. If there was an athlete that wasn't proficient in a skill, right? I would take the time and, hey, let's work on this again. Let's work on this again. Let's make sure that you're ready now and practice so that when the time for competition comes, you're ready to go. And if I ask you to do this same skill in a, in the field of competition, like you're not lost and you feel ready. And this is something that you can go out and do. And it's going to be taking every athlete, you know, at whatever level they were at. And so thinking about professional development, I think it's oftentimes kind of hard because it almost kind of comes across as like, here are the things you're not doing, you know, almost like, and there's a difference between a training and professional development and professional learning, but I want to like in a dream world, we, I think we'd focus on the idea of development, right? What skills needs to be developed? What, what do I need to do in my classroom? And so I think a lot of it with adults is you gotta have something that sticks, like something that I can take back and feel like, okay, I could actually implement this in my classroom. Like our friend, Kristen Van Brunt gave this presentation years ago where she introduced the staff to Edpuzzle, Nearpod, and Flipgrid. And I sat there, and maybe it's just because I think the, I think Van Brunt is amazing and she was such an awesome classroom teacher, but I remember sitting there looking at all three of those services and going, that's so easy for me to implement. And it makes sense with what I'm doing. It makes sense with where we're going. It makes sense with where students are at. And I think that's the idea, right? What can I develop? And so learning how to make an Ed puzzle, learning how to make a Nearpod, I'm developing a skill, but I'm developing a skill that also matters in my classroom. And sometimes it does require like a little bit of handholding to be like, and this is how you'll do it, you know? But I, I think that's okay. Yeah. And we act like it's not. I think a lot of times we have this either or type yeah. attitude instead of an and type attitude. And yeah. so thinking about if I'm going to go and, and learn something, I'm going to develop a skill, give me time to, to develop it and implement it in my classroom and then follow up with me and kind of hold me accountable of like, Hey, we, we taught you this thing. Did it work? And I think that that's kind of the same thing with both adults and students. Whenever you're, you're looking at something, I mean, ultimately the deciding factor is, did it work? No, because I love Nearpod. I use Nearpod a lot in my class. I'm sure my students are probably to the point of being tired of it, you know, but it makes sense with the things that I like to do in class. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that like our yoga teacher at school or our baking and pastry teacher, you know, that they're going to have the same level of success, right? And that's okay. It is. But follow up. Make the, make some sort of piece of accountability, you know, and just, okay, so what's your next step? That's going to kind of build, you know, something around instead of just saying, all right, well, we told you that this thing exists, uh, go, go use it. And we're never going to come back to it again. Like that's just so disingenuous ultimate, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, and I love in this perfect world that you've described that there's a big element of personalization, right? That like, each individual is getting what they need or like that you we've taken an accurate assessment of where they're at and like we plan for what they need and they have kind of like an individual plan to get there but then also this idea of like 
longevity, that it's not just a one and done. We come back to it. We reinforce the learning. We provide space for that kind of long-term growth. So instead of it just being like, like you said, peace out, we're done. It's like, no, we want to see you implement it, try new things, reflect on it, and then, you know, add to your skill set and make it matter, which I love. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the thing kind of like, especially with this newer generation, right? Gen Z, oh. the idea of incentive. Like if you give these kids an incentive, hey, this is how what we're learning matters to you. This is how it matters to potential once you leave these school walls, you know, and you go get a job somewhere, right? Like once students have that incentive, mm -hmm. the motivation to do the work goes way up. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really not quite a quite a problem anymore. And then it's more like you have to just kind of help kids maintain that focus, you know, as a teacher in the sense of like, hey, look, you're in social studies and today we're learning about reconstruction, but ultimately we're not learning about reconstruction. We're we're learning about critical thinking and you could cook up what in your mind might be the perfect plan. Well, what does it look like when it's implemented? And then what do you do if it doesn't work? Like, when do you know to cut bait and run and try something different? You know, when you frame it like that, all of a sudden it's like, wow, this matters to me because not everything in my life is going to go according to plan. So when do I, when do I need to find a different solution? And when you start kind of bringing in storytelling aspects and different experiences, I think that's when students and, and even adults, you know, start to kind of look and go, okay, this stuff matters. Like I'm learning about something, but really it, it, there's a deeper meaning. To it. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually is a really interesting segue into our first question. What crossover, if any, do you see between teaching adults and teaching students? And I know in some cases, if you've been teaching long enough, you eventually teach your students who become, which I'm barely getting to that point in my career. And it's always kind of a mind trip. But anyway, the question, crossover, or do you approach the different groups differently? I think that there's going to be some differences between the groups, but ultimately there's a lot that stays the same in the sense that if there's no clear objective or incentive, motivation starts to, if it's too complex, people will tend to shut down because then it's just blah, blah, blah. No catch a word here or there. It's kind of like when you're learning a second language, you know, you're like, mm -hmm. oh, I recognize that word, recognize that thing. Okay. You'll get my engagement. And then as soon as you get too complex, it all of a sudden kind of goes, goes back down. And then I think, I think students and adults are really, really good at recognizing when somebody's just trying to wing it per se, mm -hmm. and it doesn't come in with a clear plan or objective. And then it's just kind of like sitting there with arms folded going, yeah, you kind of wasted my time. But I mean, it's, it's like, if I have to be here, please make it, please make it worth it, you know? And, yeah. and I also think too, that anytime you can legitimize what you're, what you're presenting with any sort of source material evidence, Hey, this isn't just my thought. It was taken from this study, 
you know, there's some evidence back and, and it's okay if you say there's some early evidence and we're still growing and we're still figuring this out. I think that's okay, you mm -hmm. know, but if somebody challenges you and it's like, hey, where did you get this from? And it's like, my head, <laughs> you know, <laughs> my head nods. And then all of a sudden it's kind of like, well, that was cute for a moment, you know, but like, and I think that this kind of goes to that idea of, of professionalism, you know, sure. like when you're in front of students, when you're in front of adults, when you're teaching anything, like be a professional, act like it. And it does bring, it does bring a different attitude. Now with the idea of being a professional though, right? Like mm -hmm. that's going to take on a lot of different forms with people because I know for some it's dress, you know, it's a certain, certain vocabulary or something, but ultimately it's, I'm a professional teacher. I have been trained on how to deliver this information. So, so do your best, you know, take us seriously. Yeah. And you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier when we were talking, but humanizing the learning, telling stories, making connections, that goes a long way with students as well as adults. So my next question for you is, what are your best like recommendations or best strategies for designing learning for, for adults? Oh man, adults can be, can be a bit hard at times because like I've been in front of different faculties, you know, to present something. And all of a sudden it's just like this big fear of judgment, you know, coming down and you're, you know, you might see that one person and you're like, oh no, they're kind of giving me a look, you know, to like <laughs> shake it in my boots a little bit. Like, but with adults and trying to design, design that learning, I think one of the best things that I've ever done is get adults working together, get, get some sort of conversation going. Because if we do that in our classes, right? Like present a problem to our students. Okay, go investigate this problem. Look for some evidence, form an opinion, back it up, right? Think critically. And then with adults, we go into a big room and say, all right, sit down and shut up and oh. listen. I don't think it goes over nearly as well. And so yeah. my, my big thing has generally been get get adults talking, get them working, get them exploring, investigating in the same way that you would students. And as an example of that, Davis school district got hit with this department of justice investigation and mm -hmm. were found lacking and negligent in certain areas. And so there has been some retraining that's gone on. And I think it's been really good and helpful to, mm -hmm to help understand a little bit about what's going on, maybe things that we see and, or haven't always paid attention to. But I was talking with my principal and he said, you know, I've got to, I've got to present some stuff to the staff regarding what the department of justice found. And I'm just, I'm really not that excited about it because it, it's going to be hard conversations. And I asked him, well, well, what is it? And so he sat down and showed me, and it was simple stuff. Like if you hear a racial slur being used, what should you do? Mm -hmm. And I looked at him like, Hey, I got, I got this. I got you. Like I have a whole format ready to go. 
And it was a lot of the format that I've used when I host like the UTED chats on Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. Here's your situation. Tell me how you respond and then let's share it out, you know, in some way. And I did that. And we have at our school at Piedmont, in our media center, we have these whiteboard tables in our media center. Mm -hmm. So you can write on with the markers and whatnot. And I remember at one table, I had an English teacher. I had a fax teacher. I had a lunch lady. And I think I had somebody from the special education department. All of a sudden, these four individuals are sitting around a table. And it was so cool to hear, well, this is what I hear. Or this is what I think should be done. And you're taking from four very different parts of the school, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the meeting just elevated. And these subjects that were once thought of like, oh man, this is really scary. I want to avoid, I just want to like get in and get out and try and, you know, not, not worry about too much. Just the fact that the adults in the building were working together, talking, having a good time and even connecting. Cause like, I mean, it's kind of easy in a school just to get isolated in your classroom or your department or your side of the building. And all of a sudden to get, get teachers from in the building, different parts, talking together, working and you know, it might seem kind of cheesy or cliche, but like in the warm fuzzies of like, man, you, you're really, you're really smart. I've never thought of that before. And it's like, yeah, you work in two opposite sides of the building. You should talk more. We should do more yeah. of this. Oh, you know, and, and bring it together. And just hearing that was, was rewarding and kind of like, yeah, this one, this worked. This one worked. Yeah. That, that actually is the perfect segue and I keep saying this but it does it works so perfectly with the next question and I kind of see it as an impossible question just because as educators we don't always get to see the end result of the lesson that we taught or the like major takeaways that a student will take you know 10-15 years down the future but the I'm going to ask the question anyway what is the best way to measure the effectiveness or impact of the learning that you designed so you shared in that PD where people were talking, people were connecting. You knew right away, just instinctively, that this was good, that this had impact and importance. Um, what would you recommend is the best way for other people to, again, I don't think it's possible, but like measure how impactful something that they've presented is? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm certainly not going to go give a test. To my faculty, you know, multiple choice test. Hey, if you, if you got a 70% or more of your provision, I don't, I don't think that would go over particularly well, you know, with adult, adult learners, but on the first day in my CE history classes, I do this lesson about connections. And I tell my students on day one, the point of this class is to make connections and we practice a couple different ways in which they can make connections. But ultimately the goal is I tell them, I want you to be able to connect history with English. And I want you to be able to connect history with science. And I want you to be able to connect history with math. And I want you to be able to connect history with whatever other subjects you're taking. And I can do that, you know, in some ways by providing like a bit of a passage from a book in English or something, but Ultimately, though, like you want students to do that on their own. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, because they're not always going to be in your class. It's not always going to be an assignment, right? 
But I think that same idea applies to adults, right? Go out and make the connections on their own. And if you're designing some sort of, you know, professional development, what are the connections that you want them to do, right? In the sense of, if I want to develop my skills as a presenter, you know, as a lecturer, right? Chances are playing around with all the transitions on PowerPoint or Google slides or whatever your Canva, you know, whatever your slide deck is like playing around with all the transitions and extra thing. That's actually not really helping to develop, you know, as much like it's the fun parts, right? But, but thinking about something more along the lines of, okay, one thing to develop your ability as a lecturer is maybe put less words on your slide, Mm -hmm. put less words. So then that way it's not such a fight for students to figure out, should I write down the stuff on the slide or should I write down the words coming out of my teacher's mouth? And I think that's the same thing, you know, with adults as well, right? Which, which area am I supposed to pay attention to, you know? And if you go, okay, so as a lecturer, I want more attention on me and the words I say instead of what's on the slide. Okay, let's develop this. Can you do a a PowerPoint with four pictures and no words? You know, and then kind of get student feedback. Hey, how did that go? You know, Mm -hmm. what were you paying attention to more? You know, something like that, right? I think matters so much more. I love that. I love this idea of, I guess, just rethinking how we approach not only learning in our classrooms, but learning that teachers engage in as professionals, as continuous learners, that it doesn't always have to be the way that it has been. We can look at ways to just like simple tweaks to make it that much more meaningful and hopefully have, you know, that much more of an impact down the road which leads me to our probably our last question we'll see but as someone who because i know you do work with the utah teacher fellows and you said you do like pd for your school as well as like a teacher how do you foster a culture of continuous learning among educators like how do you kind of change the culture around professional learning to make people want to do it to like be engaged and be excited. All right. So I have a, I have a few thoughts on this one. The first was when I was working with the Davis teacher fellows, one of the, one of the fellows that we had was standing in the back of our first meeting and talking, I was talking about the power of a story and your audience and trying to meet your audience with your story. And I remember this Davis fellow in the back, he just, he looked like he had a thought. So I was like, Hey, do you want to share something? And he goes, you know, I've never thought of some of this in the ways that you're presenting, but he goes, it just dawned on me. He's like, this is the fifth different industry I've worked in. Wow. And I've never found an industry like education 
where continuous learning is expected. Like you're actually expected to continue learning your craft and it's not for a promotion. You know, you're not to go from like grunt to manager or something, but like, yeah, you just to get better. And, and he goes, that's something that's actually really drawn me to, to education. And I think about that a lot because it's just kind of been living in my head for the last three years. And it was like, mm -hmm. yeah, that, like that is one of the best things about teaching is that I'm still supposed to learn about my content area. I'm supposed to, I'm still supposed to learn about educational technology and about, you know, professional development and, and getting better at what I do in the classroom and everything. And so I think that, I think that there's something there with that, but also there, there can be this kind of problem, right? Where we get in, you know, like I'm a social studies teacher and I spend all this time in college just nerding out about how cool history is and all these things. And then, you know, I get teaching and it's like, I have to kind of water down. I have to dilute, you know, what I was doing in college a bit. And then like my learning is geared towards creating lessons. And so I do think it's important at times to carve out a specific time and space like PLC time or something and just kind of be nerds about history again with other people. I think that's fun. And then there's this idea of like Ganymede syndrome, right? That you can be stuck doing a single task for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I try and prevent that. And I think it helps foster continuous learning because part of my philosophy as a department head is I don't want, I don't want singleton teachers in the sense of like, I don't want the one teacher just teaching only world civ, you know, for the next 10 to 20 years. I want them to try and teach a second subject if possible. And so then that way they're continuing learning and reviewing different areas. Uh, and I think that, I think that helps or even, you know, the idea of like tall poppy syndrome, right? That mm. these poppies, you know, grow and then somebody achieves success, but then they're just constantly undercut, you know, because maybe somebody's having a hard time reaching that level of success. And it's kind of like we remind the kids, Hey, we're, I'm going to try and meet you where you're at. And every kid's going to be at a different spot. You know, just like every athlete that I coach was at a different spot. So what can I do to build your skills, you know, help you out. And as professionals, it's like, I think we forget to celebrate the successes that we have in our classroom, yeah. you know, Hey, what's something awesome that happened to you? And, and sometimes we almost like want to hide it. It's like, no, tell us like, we want to be there. We want to celebrate with you. We think it's cool. Like I even shared with my students today, you know, we, we were just at uh, Capitol Hill for educator day on the Hill on Friday. And, and one of my buddies, Stephen Seabury got a picture of me on the floor of the Senate and I got to share that with my students and say, Hey, look, this never happened to me. I wasn't going around begging for this, you know, but I got to go sit on the floor of Senate and, and get recognized, you know, like cool things happen. I want to share them with you. And the response to that was really, really fun, you know, with students. And I think that same sort of environment should be fostered among adults. Hey, you're going to go keynote somewhere you're going to attend this conference you just found a new book 
you know, that kind of helps you teach a lesson. You just found a brand new lesson somewhere. Like, please share those things. And then once I start to engage with it, now it's increasing my life. Now I want to try maybe, And maybe it's like, man, maybe that lesson doesn't quite work with me for me as is, but I can reconstruct it to be what I need to, you know? And, and I think constantly just cheering each other on is ultimately going to be one of those things that helps, helps you want to still achieve that academic success as a lifelong learner. Thinking about all the times when I've had lunchroom conversations about something new that I did or a conference that I went to and being able to share that learning. And like you said, it doesn't always fit someone's context, but the the mere act of having a conversation about our pedagogy, about our approach to teaching, like is always going to like hopefully spark something in another teacher and help them say like, oh, that makes me think of maybe trying something this way or um, making a connection that I didn't make before. Um, and so I think it, it's like a positive uh, avalanche, like one learner who goes out and like does something can inspire someone else. And then, then that ripple effect gets bigger and bigger. So kind of going back to our impossible question about effectiveness, I think Part of being effective is fostering that culture and encouraging others, like you said, share our successes, share what works for us, share what we're excited about, and that creates that like positive uh, momentum that I think uh, will spark a lot for other educators. Yeah, it, I mean, ultimately, that's part of what we're trying to do, right? Like, I try and remind my students. Hey, we, we don't know what you're going to be when you, when you grow up. Right. And so yeah. in high school, you might kind of roll your eyes. Why am I sitting in this class or that class? But like, ultimately speaking though, we don't know where you're going to end up. So we're, we're trying to give you general education and skills to go out and, and be successful. And then even as, as educators, right? Like it's kind of weird that being in your classroom for 30 years at the same school, same room is normal, but also hopping around school districts every couple of years is also like somehow strangely normal, but like you want everybody to be as successful as they can, you know, in whatever they do and they're going to learn different things. So like I went to college at BYU, Idaho. I teach with people who went to college at Utah state primarily, they bring a different perspective in. And it, like I said before, it's not always, it shouldn't always be an either or proposition. It shouldn't be either what I learned at BYU Idaho or what you learned at Utah State. How can we get better to an idea of let's combine what we learned, what I learned at BYU Idaho and what you learned at Utah State to make things better for the both of us? Because ultimately, when we become better teachers, it trickles down to the kids. Yes. Yes. I love that. And it reminds me a lot of what Matt Winters, president of USAT, likes to say in our meetings. It's the concept of yes and. So instead of like shutting down an idea or being resistant to something, you always respond yes and. Like, what can we do more to add on to this, to brainstorm, to like build off of it? And it's such a, a positive way of looking at the world because you're opening yourself up to possibilities. And that is a very exciting thing. 
Okay, Scott, thank you uh, for being on this episode with me and chatting about professional learning and designing that learning. This episode is coming out before the USAC conference and you are one of the featured speakers. Do you have any sneak peeks or uh, a little teaser for the audience about what you'll be sharing at the USAC conference? Yeah, so I'm trying to work with Matt because... I really, really want to try and do like some sort of wrestler style entrance, but I, I, I don't know if he's going to like, let me have, have pyro and confetti cannons. I feel like that might be a bit much, <laughs> but like, but I, I, I want to talk about the idea of positive teacher leadership from the classroom to Capitol Hill. Right. And sharing why sharing your story matters and why advocacy matters and why it makes sense to give up some of your time and your efforts and, you know, dip your toe into the unknown because you might actually get told yes at some mm -hmm. point. And so that's, that's what I'm looking at building my keynote around. And I'm super excited to be a part of the event. I mean, you said is awesome. I've never attended. A conference like you said, where I walk away and go, every session I just attended mattered. Like every session I, that I went to, like I, I want to use all this stuff in my classroom now, you know? And it's so cool to see so many teachers from across the entire state and others, right? Like sometimes you get uh, legislators that come in. Like last year we had the, the Hope Street CEO fly in, you know, just kind of sneakily. And I was helping present one of the sessions and he came in. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is like the big boss guy, <laughs> you know, wow. all of a sudden. And, and just getting all these people together and hopefully building bridges with, with education and trying to do better for our students. I love that. And I really couldn't end on a better note. I am I, telling everybody in the audience, I did not pay Scott to say that nice thing about USAC conference, but I fully uh, underline, like highlight, emphasize everything that you just said. Like the USAC conference is such an exciting opportunity and we are so excited to see Scott uh, on the main stage. So thank you again, Scott. And we will see you guys next time.